0: All right. Good morning, church. Well, please, if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 2. We're beginning Romans chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. So I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to kind of dive in and then break it down. Uh, So Paul writes Romans 2, verses 1 through 11. He says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. This morning, we will see that we have no, no excuse and we have no escape, in the end, we will not be doing the judging. That belongs to God alone, who is the perfect and the righteous judge, who Paul says shows no partiality. And remember, Paul is making a concerted effort here in chapters one, to, one through three uh, to wipe away any thought that you or I are good uh, or that we are moral. Uh, to accomplish this in chapter two, uh, he will be seeking to open our eyes to our own hypocrisy and self righteousness that we have, and part of his strategy here is is to point out to us, man, that we are a sinner in need of a savior. That we fall short. And yes, you know there are signs, you know, of God's law written on our heart. That we do have a morality, uh, but not one of us is good. None of us are perfect. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all need a savior. And unless you realize that, you don't. Realize your need for Jesus, and the gospel loses its power in your life. But when you realize it, man, I fall short, uh, the gospel has that power in your life to, to show you the Savior who is Jesus, and so you put your faith and your trust in him, and it, it is a, it's the most wonderful news ever. It is the news to bring you from death to life in Christ. So in the hypothetical courtroom, uh, Paul is putting us now in the seat of the accused, Not allowing us to play, you know, the victim card or the prosecution card and especially not the judgment card. We are the ones on trial. So this morning we will be looking at judging rightly and judging wrongly and that we should be very careful when we cast judgment on others because Paul begins in verse 1 of chapter 2 saying, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges So first, what is the therefore, therefore? We gotta look back at chapter one and remember from last week, the wrath of God is revealed against um, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, uh, one, we see they suppress the truth. And then number two, they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And then number three, because of this, God gave them up to their dishonorable passions and they did not see see fit to acknowledge God, so he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then number four, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness to the point where they not only participated, but also proved to those who practiced all manner of unrighteousness. And the list Paul gives of unrighteousness is a list that each of us at some point, can be convicted of. So Paul says, therefore, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges. Who is the you here? Well, you who judge. Last week, he was addressing the ungodly, and this week, Paul is transitioning to those who believe themselves religious and godly, or simply righteous and virtuous people. And many people today believe they are moral and and virtuous and and good people. But as we we move through this chapter, Paul will zero in on his people, the Jews, because the church in Rome is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And this was hard for the Jews to get used to. And they they had a tendency to be very judgmental of the Gentiles, not without good reason often, uh, but also in this case, it was to their detriment. So when Paul says you... It is for the, it's for the whole church in Rome, but he will be leaning in uh, to the Jews as we progress through this chapter, and we'll see that next week. Moving on. Uh, so he says, you who judge have no excuse for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So Paul, Paul's addressing the hypocrisy in our hearts, the hypocrisy that loves to cast judgment and then turn around and do the same thing. And Paul says, do you think when you do that, God will not judge you? He will. And that should give us Pause. And our culture is unbelievably judgmental. We know that. We see that now more than ever before, you know, with social media. And we're called not to engage in judgmentalism. We need to wait and see a lot more than we're doing. We, we need to wait and see before we can jump on any kind of bandwagon or, or, or we promote or, or celebrate some kind of moral failure that happens. Um, we need to kind of put the pause button and and just, just observe a little bit more rather than, than jumping in and, and casting judgment right away. Social media has allowed us to enter into a public discussion that was once something you know we kind of observed and, and would discuss in family units, but now it is all public, and instead of having family discussions, we can put our family now on blast on social media for something that should have been handled face-to-face family holidays. You know, I remember my Irish uncles, you know, red in the face. They probably had, you know, one too many, Uh, but they would be arguing, you know, they'd be yelling, you know, they'd be laughing at each other's political ideas and, and and waving them off and and arguing, you know, and uh, contradicting them, you know, the other ones. And, and so, you know, and, and at the end of it, you know, you you would think they'd never get along again, but at the end of it, they'd all hug each other. They'd all kiss and they couldn't wait for the next time they could all get together and do it all over again. Well, here comes, you know, social media and now <clears throat> what was once private discussions, you know, amongst the family can get made public and all of a sudden it's, it's more difficult to hug and kiss afterwards if you put somebody on blast on social media. So be very careful what you decide to post or who you decide to put on blast in the public sphere. Too often we allow, you know, that kind of peripheral, peripheral stuff in our lives to define us, rather than allowing Jesus to define us. Jesus says in Matthew 7, one through five, he says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we need this level of humility to say, I probably have a log in my own eye that keeps me, it prevents me from seeing clearly to take the speck out of your eye. So Jesus says, do this carefully and with great consideration when you do it. You're going to go to your brother or your sister, your comrade, and you're gonna help them see something that you yourself have had to deal with in your own life. And then you can give them good advice to being rid of it in their own life. For Jesus says, for the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The measure of both judgment and forgiveness, of grace and condemnation, of mercy and ruthlessness. I don't know about you, but I want to be measured with forgiveness. I want to be measured with grace. I want to be measured with mercy. So I too to use that measure for others. Listen to what James writes in James 4. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? How many lawgivers and judges? There's one. So when you take the role of judge and judge a brother, you judge the law. When you judge the law, you judge the lawgiver, the lawgiver. When you think you know better than than Scripture, you'll you'll pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. You'll redefine whatever you think needs redefining, and then you're judging God. So we need to take Scripture seriously. We need to take God at his word and what he's uh, telling us to do. And what does he tell us to do? To love him, (laughs) to love him, and then to love others. So let's start by loving God enough to listen to him. And let's love each other better than anybody else on the planet loves each other. Let's start there, instead of getting caught up in distractions, let's love each other better. Love each other as Christ loved the church. If we can't do that, then we've missed the gospel already. What a tragedy it would be to cast our lots in with anybody but Jesus. We want to be about him. Let's not make it about ourselves. So let's forgive one another. Put past hurts behind us and love each other. Love each other. Let's love each other. What's the best thing about mom? The best thing about mom is that you can tell her anything. And she will love you still. She will love you from the depths of her soul. She will embrace you and forgive you and gather you to herself. You know Jesus longs to gather us to himself. He says he longs to gather us to himself. Let him do that by loving him and by loving one another. Let Jesus gather you to himself. He longs to show you mercy. He longs to show you grace. He longs to bring you in to show you his forgiveness and his love. Allow Jesus to gather you to himself. Now as we talk about judging, does does this mean that we cannot call out injustice or false teaching or any sort of wrongdoing when we see it? No, obviously not. So how are we to judge rightly? Well scripture gives us some help with this too. Proverbs 31, we read the, kings, uh, the, the words of King uh, Lemuel, and he is writing an oracle that his mother actually taught him. Uh, Proverbs 31, verses 8 through 9, Open your mouth for the mute. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. We also read in Leviticus 1915, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. So we're called to be impartial and to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves and for the rights of those who are destitute. In the early church, the Jews and Gentiles struggled to get along. There were big cultural and ethnic differences that caused divisions, and Paul's trying to heal them. So Paul is going to be addressing these cultural differences head on throughout this letter, and we'll find the uniting factor is found in and through Christ and through his word. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3 saying, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training up in righteousness that the man of god may be competent equipped for every good work so how do we judge rightly we do so with the word of god that is god's standard breathed out by god profitable for teaching for reproof for correction And for training up in righteousness. And I've been corrected before. I'm sure you have too. And I know I'm better for it. I'm thankful for it. It it, it didn't feel good in the moment, (laughs) but I am thankful for it. You know, we we talk about our oikos, those people that God's put under our relational roof sovereignly for us to invest in, uh, for us to pray for, for us to invite to be part of our lives. But it, it works both ways. God put you in their life, and he also put them in your life to be able to speak into your life. We all have blind spots and we need people to be able to speak into our life. And oftentimes it's it's the people closest to us who can do that best. And I would hope people are always able to correct you in the future. I'd hope they're always able to correct me in the future, uh, doing it in love, um, obviously. Uh, And and I hope that I'm able to do the same for you, uh, to speak the truth in love to bring correction, reproof, to bring encouragement, to teach righteousness, so that we are all made better for it. But be sure to do it in the right way, using what is our standard? Using scripture. Who helps us to interpret scripture as we read it? Well, the Holy Spirit does that. Let's check out 1 Corinthians 2. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians saying, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? And there he is quoting from Isaiah 40. And then Paul concludes, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Wow, we have the mind of Christ. Through Through whom? Through whom? through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us, revealing the truths of Scripture to us. Later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So Paul's saying, we're we're not to be those who shake our fists at the world. Man, they're they're so terrible out there. We're those who are to look inward and say, Jesus, make us pure. Make us pure, your bride, the church. We want to be ready for you when you return. Make us more like you. May we be done with our old selves and live more like you, more in accordance with your word, with your statutes. And if someone among us is drawing us away from Christ, And into death, uh, into the old life, Paul says, be rid of them. Because he says, leaven is going to work through the whole loaf of bread. It's going to corrupt the whole thing. But to do this rightly requires humility. It requires the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures to guide us in judging rightly as those who have taken the plank out of our own eye so that we can see clearly to get the speck in our brother's or sister's eye. Okay, so we need to move on here to verse four because we won't finish otherwise. So to recap, uh, Chapter two, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, verse four, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Not, it's not meant to uh, enable your own self-satisfaction. The word kindness here uh, is used twice, and it's also translated in some translations as goodness, uh, but it leans more towards kindness. So it's similar to the Hebrew word hesed, meaning loving kindness, often used as God's loving kindness. It's, it's meant to lead you, we read, to repentance. And repentance is God's demand for us to trust him, even though it means forsaking you know, our old uh, human securities that, that we once trusted in. Repentance is not simply you know, negative, as in turning away from sin and our old self. It also means turning to new life in Christ, a life of active service to God. It is this attitude of of being done with the old self and becoming new in Christ and, and God's goodness, his hesed, his loving kindness is leading us there. And when it doesn't lead us to repentance, we are presuming upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, meaning he is holding back judgment, but he won't forever as Paul goes on in verse 5 but because of your hard and impenitent heart the heart that feels no shame or remorse about actions or attitudes because it's hardened Paul says because of this you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed so God has a settled opposition to all that's evil is settled He's in opposition to all that's evil. God's wrath is not some irrational passion, right? Sin will inevitably reap its due payment, and God will be active in the process on that day, on the day of wrath. And so here in Romans chapter 2, we see a a second definition of God's wrath. Last week, we saw God's wrath revealed in giving people over to their passion, saying, go ahead, see where that leads. And now we see perhaps the more common thought when we think of God's uh, wrath as in that day, right? The day of judgment, when God's settled opposition against evil reaches its consummation. It will be the great and terrible day we, of the Lord that we read about in Revelation. And, and also there's a lot of other examples in Scripture. Here are a few of them, Isaiah 2.12, for the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Isaiah thirteen thirteen. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth shake out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Zephaniah one fifteen. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Paul gives us a sense in verse five that God's wrath is storing up as a dam stores up water. God does not throw temper tantrums, but his wrath is stored up against wickedness He in his loving kindness and forbearance and patience desires to show mercy and grace and forgiveness. He desires that none should perish, that all would be saved. So he's withholding wrath. wrath. He's storing it up for that day so that when you put your faith in Christ, when you you believe on him, on the finished work of the cross, the wrath that's stored up against you uh, is, is covered. For the wrath of God was poured out on the one who, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So we don't fear that day, for we're covered in Christ. He took it fully on the cross. We trust in him. So when the dam is full and it breaks, God's wrath will be released. But we are not to fear. But Paul goes on in verse 6, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Wrath to the Jew first and also to the Greek and also glory and honor and peace for all who do good, the Jew first and also to the Greek, for God shows no partiality. It doesn't base anything on, on superficial qualifiers. God looks at the heart, at our motives, and how that is then worked out in our deeds, Period. It comes down to your heart to your character but Paul you ask what do you mean we'll be judged according to our works (laughs) aren't we saved by the finished work of Christ well it is absolutely true that obedience to the law will never earn anyone salvation we're not saved through it. we're not saved through the works of the law but it's equally true that those who are saved through faith alone in Christ alone by grace alone are expected to live a life of good works that demonstrates a true and a saving faith a faith that has indeed you know freed us from the dominion of sin so that we've been freed to practice the righteousness of God so you expect to see the fruit of that faith working out in your life If you're not growing in righteousness and in holiness, if you're not growing in hatred of the sin that you you find still in your own life, then you are not seeing the fruit of a true saving faith. The Holy Spirit is not active within your life. Otherwise, you would experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit that brings about change. So if you're feeling convicted by God, praise God. Praise God who's at work within you to bring about the good works, the fruits of the Spirit. Those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be judgment. There is no escape but one through Jesus, the Son of God. And seeing the fruit of the Spirit dwelling within you, being the outworking, of that saving faith in the finished work of Christ. For we know John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So put your faith in Christ today. Be done with the old self put on the new, allow the loving kindness of God to lead you towards repentance, to new life in him, to be set free from sin and death. And church, church, may we be those who are careful to remove the plank from our own eye before taking the speck from our brother's eye. May we be those who are spiritually discerning in all our ways, who are able to judge rightly, And in doing so, we can build one another up in truth and in righteousness. So on that day, Jesus can say to us, his bride, the church, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope we have in Christ. God, may we be those who demonstrate that inward working of your spirit through our daily lives and the way we treat one another and how we talk to one another and how we love one another. Lord, may we be a church who lives as Christ lived, who loves as Christ loved. May we be his hands and his feet, Lord. God, give us the boldness to speak your truth. God, give us the grace to love as you've loved, even willing to bear the shame of the cross, to bring us to yourself. So Lord, may we love our enemies, may we pray for those who persecute us, And Lord, would you fill us with uh, a discerning spirit by your Holy Spirit, so we can judge rightly before you and discern right from wrong. And may we purify ourselves before you, our loving, loving Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.